We are in our second week of a new six-week series at Church of the Cross that is intended to refresh for us the big picture of the Christian life and the church. And our aim in coming back to some of these basic questions and themes that define who we are, not just at Church of the Cross, but more generally as the church, is that we can be encouraged and inspired um, in living the Christian life together as a community, as a family, as we see ourselves. And we need clarity about that bigger vision um, I gave you the uh, analogy of the, 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 the image on the cover of a Lego box, that we need to see that bigger vision in order to build along the way, in order to stay focused and encouraged in the day-to-day of Christian living, which can often be quite routine and mundane um, and, and uh, perhaps less than exciting, but so deeply important. So we started last week with the only place to start, really, with the gospel, with the good news, that God acted in Jesus, his son, defeating the enemy of life, that is the devil and and evil through the cross, and making Jesus Lord. And now through Jesus the Lord and by the Spirit, God is reconciling all things and making all things new. Our shorthand for this gospel at Church of the Cross is simply this, Jesus is Lord, and through him, God is reconciling all things and making all things new. And as this gospel this work of God is proclaimed through the world, it calls for a response. That's always a part of this good news, is this call for the response. Jesus, who is the crucified and resurrected Lord of all, as Peter called him in our text last week, is summoning everyone everywhere as King and Lord to give up their rebellion, to give up their own way of doing life, and to come under his rule, to believe, and as a result, to receive the forgiveness of their sins and the fullness of life, which is the gift of God, the gift of his grace. And the church, the people of God who gather here and all around the city and all around the world, usually on Sundays, the church is this collection of people who have responded by the gift of God's grace and by no inherent quality in each of us, but by the gift of God's grace who have responded to this summons in the gospel with repentance, that is, turning away from other lords and ways of living, and with faith, that is, believing in, trusting in, and obeying this Lord and King Jesus. Now, for, for many of us, this is a dramatic, mark, a marked event in our lives when we make this transition. For others of us, this is a, a gradual, quiet process that one day we wake up and say, yes, I'm here, I do believe, and I trust him. The important thing, whether it's a a moment or a process, and usually it's some combination of both in our lives, is that we do respond. And when we do, by the grace of God, we become adopted children. We're born again. We're new creations. We're made members of the body of Christ, disciples of Jesus. All of these benefits are then publicly signified to us in the church, in the life of God's people, through the sacrament of baptism, this sacrament of entry, that signifies these great benefits of what it means to come to Jesus. And then all of these benefits fuel the praise and celebration and thanksgiving that are at the heart of the church and at the heart of our lives as as members in the church. The church never stops rejoicing. That's what we do. Even if you don't feel like it, when we come together on a Sunday, we rejoice in the good news and all that it means for our world and for our lives. Jesus is Lord. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is who you are, people who rejoice. And so then the question is this, in light of this gospel and this response, 
is as the church, as the children of God, as those who've received the gift of forgiveness and been given the fullness of life, as disciples of Jesus, what is our aim? Where are we headed? What is our goal? To, to what is our Lord Jesus calling us? Where is he leading us? And that's what we want to focus on today. And to address this question, we're going to open up to Mark's gospel, chapter 10, the second part of the reading that we had from the gospel, and the story of a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, who was on the road that Jesus was walking on. It's an amazing encounter. Um, In so many ways, I'd love to say so many more things about it than I will this morning. But Bartimaeus, Jesus encounters Bartimaeus, and Jesus, and this is the way Jesus operates as Lord of all. Yes, he summons us to authority, but what does he say to Bartimaeus? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And what is Bartimaeus' response? Bartimaeus says, Lord, I want to recover my sight. I can't see. In other words, I want to be made whole. I want to come to the fullness of life. I've been crippled in this way. It's led me to be a beggar. It's led me to be marginalized and ostracized in my community. And I want to come back. I want to be alive. And in many ways, that's the heart cry of everyone who encounters Jesus, is to say, I want to be alive. And Bartimaeus, by the grace of God, the mercy, he cries out to Jesus as he's walking along the way, have mercy on me, son of David. He asks for the mercy of this king. And everybody wants to kind of move on, but Jesus stops. And this is the beautiful thing about the Lord who we worship in the church, is that Jesus, it says in Isaiah, he doesn't uh, put out a smoldering wick and a bruised reed he will not break. Maybe this is all you should hear this morning. If you're here and you feel like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, you feel like you're not able to make it to the next day, that there are challenges in your life that you don't know how you're going to overcome, just remember Jesus' grace and compassion and mercy. That the living Lord of all, this cosmic king that we worship and submit to and yield to and celebrate is also the gracious and compassionate friend who restores us to the fullness of life. And that's what he wants to do in your life, and that's what he wants to do in my life. That's what he longs to do and is doing in the life of the church. All right, that little part was a sidebar, so, uh, but an important one. So what happens next? Bartimaeus recovers his sight, and after this life-giving encounter with the power of Jesus, in a very personal way, which is so critical for all of us, to encounter Jesus like Bartimaeus. After being restored to light, after being given his sight, with this newfound sight, Bartimaeus becomes our example for that question. Where is Jesus leading us? Where are we to go? What is our aim? And it's very simple here, but it means so much in the context in Mark's gospel. Jesus says to him in verse 52, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And then we read, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This blind beggar, now able to see through his encounter with Jesus, becomes for the church the example of who we're called to be as disciples of Jesus. Where was Jesus going? Jerusalem. Immediately we turn in Mark 11 to the triumphal entry. Jesus enters the royal city on a donkey, with people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, but he doesn't go to Jerusalem for glory, does he? For him, going to Jerusalem, setting his face towards Jerusalem, as we read in Luke 9, for him, going to Jerusalem is going to the cross. It's going to die. 
And where is Jesus? So at the, this is why this has a lot of significance. It's not just one sentence in Mark 10, but it, it completes this middle section of Mark's gospel, which begins with the text that we read as well, where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to go and be killed and suffer, and on the third day I'll rise again. And Peter says, no, you're not. That's not the vision we have of kingship. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have your mindset on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus says, so radically and amazingly and challengingly for all of us, he says, if anyone would be my disciple, If anyone would come after me, he must, what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Bartimaeus recovers his sight and follows Jesus. It's a direct fulfillment of the call of Jesus two chapters earlier. That Bartimaeus is now for us the example of what it means to follow our king to the cross. And he does this with renewed sight. This is our aim as the renewed people of God, the children of God, the family of God. It's to be like Bartimaeus and to follow Jesus to the cross. Jesus says this, and this is everywhere in the New Testament. Jesus says in John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. This is John 12. John 13, it's the night before he goes in John uh, 18 and 19 to the cross. Where I am, there my servant will be also, at the cross. In her commentary on 1 Peter, Karen Jobes writes this, For one cannot step into the footsteps of Jesus and head off in any other direction than the direction he took. And his footsteps lead to the cross, through the grave, and onward to glory. Now what does this mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus to the cross? Again, the Gospel of John makes this abundantly clear. It means, quite simply, to live a life of love. Augustine said, nailed to the cross, Jesus was walking in the way, the way of charity. Of course, this isn't love as mere sentimental feeling or tolerance. Rather, this is love as God has defined it. Words, thoughts, and actions that pursue the good of the other, oftentimes at great cost, to myself. That's love. Love is pursuing the good of another person with my words, my thoughts, and my actions, often at great cost to myself. That's what godly love is. That's what true love actually is. And then in in John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Again, the night before he's crucified, that's a symbolic action about what he's going to do the next day by washing them with his blood on the cross. He washes their feet, and then he tells us to do the same to one another. For I've given you an example, he says, that you also should do just as I have done to you. And then in chapter 15, love one another, he says, as I have loved you. And then he explains, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Follow me to the cross. Follow me to a life of sacrificial love. Bartimaeus, having encountered Jesus, is headed there. He's following Jesus on the way. And we, as the people of God, who have also encountered Jesus and been given our sight back, are now following Jesus on the way to the cross, making our aim to become like him and to emulate his great act of love. Now, the amazing thing in in this section of Mark's gospel is the disciples don't see it. In fact, Bartimaeus' sight is contrasted very clearly with the disciples' blindness. Because in this section, as Jesus is unveiling his vocation to go to the cross, they begin to fight over who's the greatest. 
They're still completely self-referential. They're competing with one another to see who can be the best, who can be the greatest. And the whole time Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to be the least, to be the last, to be the servant, to be the slave of all. They're trying to make themselves great. But what does love do? Love does just the opposite. It is focused on the good of the other, on making others great, even at significant cost to ourselves. Now, let me be clear. This is not an invitation to masochism or to a kind of self-abnegation fueled by fear and insecurity or an insecure sense of self, which admittedly, and I say this with compassion, all of us struggle with that at some level. All of us struggle. We feel insecure and we feel incomplete and we are in various ways. And we recognize that we want to be a community that comes alongside of one another in that struggle and calls us to wholeness, calls us to the fullness of of life. That's what we long to do as a community, with compassion and grace toward one another. But love, this kind of love, arises not out of a weakness, but from fullness, from knowing who we are, from a certainty in our identity, and from real strength. Yet love deploys that fullness and strength and identity for the good of others, And not as we're so often taught and discipled by our culture for our own advancement in the eyes of the world. And it's this way that Jesus embodies for us on the cross. It's this way to life that Jesus is calling us as his people. In Romans, we read this earlier. Paul sums up the whole of Christian ethics with this beautiful phrase in this way. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. Become like him. And we can understand a little bit more clearly what Paul means in this section with what he says in context in Romans 13. He says, um, and interestingly, this was our, our, um, our confession um, this morning. Our, our summary of the law was out of Romans 13, so we actually heard this twice. But he says, look, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love one another, he says. This is what it means to fulfill God's will, is to love. And then he continues by saying that we're to cast off the works of darkness. That's in the Advent collect that we pray weekly or daily throughout the season of Advent in December. We're to cast off those things that are an indulgence of ourselves and our appetites and our desires that run contrary to love because they're centered on myself and on satisfying me. So to put on the Lord Jesus is to walk in love, to refrain from sin, to be holy, which is to say, if I've lost you, just hear this. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to become like God, who is holy and who is love. That's the aim of the Christian life. To become like God, therefore to become like Jesus, who is the image of God, perfect and complete. Now, that may sound preposterous. You might be thinking, what? I'm to become like God? Really? But note that that's exactly what the scriptures teach us. If you don't believe me, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is what we were made for. 
We were made to be like God. Remember back in Genesis 1, at the beginning of the story, he makes human beings, male and female, in his image, we're we're told. He created them. We are made in his image to rule over his world in righteousness and holiness and love, defining our rule to be like him. Now, we, of course, rejected this and fell into sin. But Jesus, the truly human one, the true human being, the perfect image of God, the last Adam, shows us the way of being truly human makes the way for us to become truly human again, takes the throne, and then restores us to our God-given created purpose. Um, I don't know that I like old cars, but I'm going to give you a car analogy right now, which my wife is going to love, because we have a 1990 Toyota 4Runner that barely still goes. Um, But if you'd like to think about this in this way, you were created like this car that I have back in 1990 to be shiny and beautiful and have all your power doors and windows and everything working. But the result of sin is that it's entered into your body in rust and other things and begun to mar that image that you were created with. And now, in that place, you still retain some, and I like to think, a lot of your old glory. Mandy thinks not so much. But Jesus is like... The, the restorer, the mechanic, the body man who comes in and does the labor and love and work to restore you to that for which you were made. Now, as a car, you can try to be something else. You can try to find your fulfillment in something else. And we try this all the time as human beings, but it will never work. The only thing that brings fulfillment, that brings life, is to become what you were created to be. And that's the work of God. Graham Tomlin, who taught me Reformation over in England, Reformation studies, said this. He said, for Athanasius in his book, Spiritual Fitness, who was a church father, as for many other Christians, the whole point of God becoming human was that we might be reformed into the likeness of God so that we might become images of God and imitators of Christ. That's the whole point. We are restored image bearers being shined up and fixed and put back into our original place of glory as those who now in Christ, who is the king, are exercising dominion and rule through our vocations, through our work, through our relationships, through our love for those in need, through our justice, through our mercy, through our wisdom. In all these ways, we're being restored in Christ by the Spirit into what we were created to be. And that is a beautiful thing. That's what Scripture teaches. Romans 8, we're conformed, we're being conformed to the image of God's Son. 2 Corinthians 3, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That image is the image of God in Jesus that Jesus displays perfectly. And so our chief aim is to become like him, the human being who perfectly bears the image of God. And in becoming like him, we become like his father. That's what we're called to be. Now, let me make a few things clear in closing. First thing to say, we do not head down this path that Bartimaeus takes and leads us down to impress God or to earn his favor. That has it all wrong and backwards, and some have tried in this way. Luther has a great quote about this. He said, it is not imitation that makes sons. It is adoption that makes imitators. It is not imitation that makes sons. It is adoption, the grace of the gospel that makes imitators. That's what sets you free to now become who you were meant and made to be. 
We have already known. Bartimaeus already encountered Jesus. He knew the mercy of God to restore him to sight and fullness and flourishing. And now he sets out as one who's encountered that mercy and that grace to go down the path of becoming truly human again by going to the cross with Jesus. Second, so that's more of like why. We don't do it for the wrong. We do it because we've, resp- we've, we've encountered this amazing king. Now, how? Because you're sitting here thinking, okay, I'm supposed to become like God. That's impossible. And I would say, absolutely, that's impossible. I know me, you know you. We know that we can't live into that. And yet, there is abundant provision. We looked at the book of Acts last week, but this begins with the amazing provision of the power of God for you and for me in Christ to now be restored to who we were meant to be. That is the Holy Spirit is given to the church falls upon the church, empowers the church, empowers you and empowers me to now walk in a new direction, to be restored to our former glory, step by step, day by day, not perfectly, but certainly powerfully, routinely, readily, every day we're moving down that path so that we can grow from infancy up to adulthood to the full maturity of manhood in Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. That's our aim, and the Spirit is the agent is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, entering into your life, empowering you now to do what you cannot do in your own strength. Yes, you cooperate with him, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who is at work in you now to lead you down that path of looking like him. So that's how we go down this. And now finally, for what? Why would you take up this path? Because it's an invitation to become fully alive. Jesus is bidding to come to him, to take up your cross, to deny yourself, is an invitation to live, not to some second-class kind of existence. This is the way to be truly alive. We try to live in all kinds of other ways. We try all kinds of other things by refraining from other commitments and burdensome relationships to keep ourselves autonomous and free so that we can enjoy whatever next pleasure comes our way. By owning this or that right product that's going to bring and kind of scratch that itch inside of us. By gaining worldly security through wealth so that we might kind of live happily ever after. But in all of these other pursuits, none of which are inherently wrong, but become obviously wrong when we hang the whole of our lives upon them, we start to miss what we were actually created for. We're pursuing the wrong vision, the wrong end, the wrong aim. We're not pursuing who we were meant to be but we're pursuing some distorted version of that that has been infiltrated by the power of evil that curves us inward upon ourselves and causes us to think that by serving me, I'll come to fullness of life. But this invitation of Jesus is exactly the opposite of those things. It's to come to him to know the richness of his grace and his love and his mercy and out of his life then to begin to walk into what we were made to be. At the end of his book, near the end of his book, Surprised by Hope, Tom Wright says it this way, or N.T. Wright, to speak rather of Jesus' Jesus' lordship of the new creation, which results from his victory on Calvary and at Easter, implies at once that to confess him as Lord and to believe that God raised him from the dead is to allow one's entire life to be reshaped by him, knowing that that though this will be painful from time to time, it will, not, it will be the way not to a diminished or cramped human existence, but to genuine human life in the present and to complete, glorious, resurrected human life in the future. This invitation to take up the cross is an invitation to come fully alive. 
So think about what drives you, what moves you, what motivates you in life. And hear the gracious call of Jesus to you as one that he loves to by his spirit working in you, to come to him, to follow him, to go to where he is, which means in the little things of life, which means tomorrow morning at the office or at home with your kids or in school in your classroom. It means to take that path of love. It means to see the neighbor who's on your street, who's struggling in certain ways and to listen to them, to hear their cries for help and to go and mow their yard or to do something on, on, on their behalf that costs you something. It means to, to go out and, and, and just choose a path that puts other people first. To walk in the way of love is to become like Jesus, the second or last Adam, and to be truly human and fully alive. And that's our aim as a church, as the people of God who've been amazingly reached by the grace of God. It's to follow Jesus, to become like him. This way that Bartimaeus chooses to go is the way of life for us. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look a little bit more deeply at this in some different aspects of how we continue to grow down this path of becoming like Jesus and becoming like his Father, our God. Amen.